You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you to our worship team. It's good to sing to the Lord, and um, it's good to pray for our brothers and sisters who are in the mission field. Um, as I was just listening, in 50 years, it's, many of us can't do anything for 50 minutes anymore, right? But 50 years, and knowing that the missions field is a lonely place often, just Consider how when you're having a bad day, a bad week, you've been in the same spot, the same job, the same situation for a long period of time, and you just need someone to pray for you, right? You need someone to come alongside, and, and when you ask for prayer, when you reach out and you pray and God, God answers, you're encouraged, right? You, you have what you need to, to continue on. And when people are not praying for you, you feel that. And so let's, let's not forget to pray for our missionaries who are out there in a, really in a lonely task, um, and yet the Lord is with them, and we are with them, and we partner with them financially, but let's continue to partner with them in prayer, and we partner with them by doing our part here. This is our mission field, and taking the same gospel to those around us. So let's, let's not forget them. So thank you for sharing that. Well, it's good to be with you, church, and welcome to our guests this morning. We're glad you're here. Um, we are going to be continuing in our series in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 3. We've been about four weeks, about a month in, and two chapters in. And I'm not saying that's going to be the normal pace for all 40 chapters, but we'll, we'll see as we go, as the Spirit leads, right? Um, but Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll open God's Word and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth to die for our sins. The great exchange. He took upon himself our sin and in exchange gave us his righteousness so that we might be justified before you, a holy God. Because you are holy, Father, you can't even look upon sin. Your eyes are too pure. And so, Father, you desired a people for yourself, and so you sent your Son as a sacrifice on our behalf. Thank you for that, Lord. That's why we're here. That's why we're gathered. We are your people because you have made us your people. So, Lord, we ask now that you would encourage us as your people. We come through these doors, Father, with many burdens and many distractions and, and even some joys, Lord. We, we come with, with all the, the variety of life here on this planet, Lord, and we, we come and bring them all to you. We offer them to you in thanks and in praise and in prayer and petition for all the needs that we have in our hearts. Help us, Lord, right now to be mindful of our own hearts, to be open, to be listeners of your word. Help us to hear from you, Lord. And whatever you speak to us, Holy Spirit, please help us to then obey what we hear, both for our joy and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've been reading along and following along with us, we we started just by looking at the the beginning of Exodus, the the general theme, deliverance of God's people from bondage, from slavery, into freedom, and to the promised land, to life with God. And we, we finished up our series in Joseph and the end of Genesis and just continued on because it's, it's the same story. It's a continuation of the same story. And so we saw at the beginning of Exodus in chapter 1, God kind of reiterating his promise. Right? He made a promise to Abraham to make him into a great nation, to bless all nations through him. And so we see God, as his people came to Egypt with 70 and a family, we see him beginning to make good in that promise. He's fulfilling that promise, as God does. And we see at the beginning of chapter 1, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. And so the land was filled with them. This is God making his people. He's multiplying them. He's growing them. 
And any time that God is on the move and God's purposes and plans are being enacted and he's, he's doing great things, there's opposition to that. We, we have an enemy. We have, we have um, opposition to whatever God is doing in his purposes and in our lives. And we see that, that Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, the old Pharaoh passed away, the Pharaoh that knew Joseph, that knew Joseph's God, that watched God do great things, that watched God do amazing miracles, the God that interpreted dreams, the God that saved Egypt and ultimately saved Israel by bringing them to Egypt. That Pharaoh had died, a new Pharaoh had come along. Right? And he was fearful. He didn't understand this. These, these Hebrews, these abominations, these, these foreigners are taking over our land. He liked the economic boost that, that was provided, the, the workforce, if you will. But he, he, was, he was afraid that they were maybe going to join a foreign country that would come into another nation that maybe would attack them or try to take them over. He, he would join them and then they would leave. So he decided to try to force them to stop multiplying, right? He had a shrewd plan. He was really, he was ingenious, right? He was a smart, he was the, the incarnation of the sun god Ra. And so he can, he can do anything. He's a god. And so he decided to try to suppress this growth. And we talked about how um, God overrules the plans of man. God overrules the, the schemes of kings and people in authority. And he actually uses it against them. And so Pharaoh was going through his, his evil intent playbook Right? We're going to oppress them. We're going to put them in the hard service and hard slavery and make them, we're going to take the joy out of every, every ounce of their life. We're going to make them wish they weren't even born. They're not going to want to have kids. They're not going to want to thrive here anymore. And by, by suppressing them, putting them in, into ruthless slavery, the Bible says, what happened? They, they multiplied even more. Right? They continued to grow. And so then he decided, plan B is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to secretly have some midwives who are delivering these baby boys kill the baby boys so as to at least cut off their, their future military might. But these two midwives, as we, as we read, they feared God more than they feared man. And we learn that we are to fear God and nothing else because God's plans will always come through. You cannot stop God. Right? We saw the Proverbs 21, verse 1, um, the wisdom within that. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Whatever Pharaoh tried to do, God countered that. And so he, he, he charged these two midwives. They said no, and God gave them families. And then he charged all of the, all of the Egyptians, every baby boy that's born, throw them into the Nile, kill them. And what did God do with with? The life of Moses, his, his chosen deliverer. Well, he used that very Nile that was to be an instrument of death and used it as an instrument of salvation for this baby. And his parents put him in a little mini ark, right? And he put, they put them down the, the Nile. And, and so right there, Pharaoh's plans were being thwarted by God. You want to use the Nile for death? I will use it for life. And Pharaoh's daughter was, was bathing at, 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 the, at the river, and she found the baby, and she had compassion. The daughter of the, the king whose edict was to kill every Hebrew baby boy, she had compassion, and she saved him. And she needed him nursed. And Miriam came out of the, out of the, the riverbank in, in boldness. She said, well, I, I know someone who can do that for you, and it's Moses' mom. And she gives him back, and she nurses him. And they even pay her to do it. And so everything that Pharaoh tries to do, it's turned on its head. And God ultimately is victorious. God's sovereignty rules. In God's sovereignty, he has the rule, he has the, he has the right and the authority to do whatever he wants. And in his providential care, he works out all things for the good of those who love him. That, is our, that, is a, that brings peace for us as his people. In a world of chaos and uncertainty, this is to encourage us. And we see God in his purposes and plans to save his people. A, a savior, a deliverer is born. And this is obviously a foreshadowing, a type of Christ that we've talked about as well. And Moses grows up, and, and, we, and we talked about this last week, and um, he knows there's something different about his life. We read this in Hebrews 11. We looked in Acts chapter 7. These kind of round out the story for us. It provides more text for us to look at. And Moses did not want to be identified any longer as a, as a son of the daughter of Pharaoh. He wanted to be identified with God's people. He knew he was a Hebrew. And after 40 years of life, he, he, he drew a line in the sand. He decided, I'm going to be one of God's people. I want to be, even if I have to be mistreated, I'd rather be part of God's plan and God's future reward than, than all the, the fleeting pleasures of sin that Egypt could offer. 
And so he crossed that line, and he knew there was something different. He was, he was a mediator by birth, and that God had him as a Hebrew in the land of Egypt, being raised by the Egyptians, and all the education that went with that. He knew something was, was different. He thought that perhaps he was going to be the one to help and to save God's people, and he could see their suffering every day. Similar, we talked about the life of Joseph, and Joseph was that perfect mediator. He was taken from his home country, as a Hebrew, he was cast into slavery, into, in, into prison, but God grew him and prepared him and used him as a mediator between Egypt, the Pharaoh, and his own people. And he was able to bring his people to Egypt to save them. And now Moses was going to be that one to take God's people and help them leave Egypt to save them. It made sense, right? Moses thought it made sense. And so he did the right thing by identifying with God's people, by stepping away from Egypt. And instead, he went out to his people. Moses had to leave Egypt in his heart before he could lead people's, God's people out of Egypt. He had to, he had to deny all of these, all these special privileges and all the rewards that came with earthly pleasures. And he did that. But then he, he made the wrong decision soon after, right? He, he, he thought he was the savior of his people, and he saw one of his brethren being abused by an Egyptian. So he struck him and killed him, and he buried him in the sand. And he knew it was wrong because he was looking both ways, and he, he tried to cover it up. And when he thought that his, his people, the, his Hebrew brothers, would, would commend him for that and celebrate him and raise him up as their leader, they did not. They called him out for it. And he realized he was exposed, and now the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, was, was looking to kill him. And so he ran away. He took off to Midian. Right? And then he sat by the well, and kind of what's next? But we see that God was not done with him. Even in this great failure, God had a plan for Moses. He's been preparing Moses this whole time. And so from that well came seven daughters of the priest of Midian, and Moses delivered them out of the hands of shepherds who were trying to move them away from, the, from watering their flock. And he saved them and he served them, right? And so God provided a new, a new place to live. He provided a new family, provided him a wife and a son, and he provided him a new job, which was to be a shepherd, to shepherd the flock of his father-in-law. And so that's where we kind of ended last week. And Moses admits by... Um, calling and naming his son Gershom that he has been a sojourner in a foreign land, similar to his forefathers. This is not his final home. And so then we begin with, let's actually start at the end of uh, chapter 2. There's a little interchange here. There's a little, um, we don't want to skip over almost the preamble coming into chapter 3. So chapter 2, verse 23, if you, if you would uh, read along with me. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So before we move into chapter 3, which is just entitled Calling Moses, God's calling Moses here, we see that there's, there's stuff happening behind the scenes. A lot of times I, I think we, we see all the, the trouble, the chaos, the problems, the failures, the disappointments. We, we see just the life of living in a fallen world, and we wonder, is God doing anything? Is he still there? Is, is he just this cold and distant God who doesn't care? Has he, has he forgotten about me? Right? We talk about that, knowing that God can't forget, but we, we use that language. And we see here God's doing many things all at one time. God's able to multitask, right? He can do more than one thing. Most of us can't do even one thing very well, right? I'm trying to make coffee in the morning, and if someone interrupts me while I'm measuring, if there's a question or a comment or a text comes in and I look or a rabbit runs across the yard, now I went from three to seven, I have no idea, so I just dump what I think's in. I can't do more than one thing very well most of the time. But God's not, he doesn't have that problem. He can do those things. As he's measuring his own coffee, right, he can count every, every little, little grain of coffee. He knows where that coffee bean came from and who actually harvested it and all at the same time, right? He can count every drop of water. He can answer that question probably correctly without missing a beat. He can answer a million texts at a time. He doesn't have to look at the rabbit because he created the rabbit and knows where the rabbit's going, right? He doesn't need to do any of that stuff. We are so limited. We are very focused at the street level of what's in front of us. But God's sees everything. He's outside of time. He sees the beginning from the end. That should bring us comfort. 
he can do all of these things. And so what's happening here during those many days, so Moses is now in the desert. He's, it's another 40 years. The king of Egypt died. Well, there was a purpose in that, right? If he were to send Moses back when the previous Pharaoh was still in power, there would have been a problem. There's no negotiating happening because there was a warrant out for his death, right? He, w- he wanted to kill Moses. That's why he ran away. So that Pharaoh had to pass. And the people of Israel were groaning and still crying out for help. There was, there, was, there was purpose in this suffering. If they were to be God's people, truly, it wasn't just about their number and that they could fill up land. They needed to depend fully on God. He was teaching them that they can't save themselves. There's nothing they can do for their own salvation. Only God can save. And so he was setting the stage, if you will. Also, if we look back at the original promise to Abraham back in in Genesis, the original promise had that he would judge the Egyptians. And so there had to be a period of time when God was ready to judge them. And he talked about even judging the Amorites eventually in the promised land, that that God would have to um, deal with the iniquity of the Amorites. But it wasn't time yet for any of that. God's doing multiple things. There was judgment coming for the Egyptians. There was judgment coming from the Amorites. And so if if they... got out of Egypt a little too quickly and got to the promised land before God was ready to judge those, those four nations that were in the land, it would throw everything off. So he's perfectly organizing and orchestrating in his sovereignty all these things. And so in light of all of that, we know that God is never late. He's never delayed, right? And he's never in a hurry either. Unfortunately, we're always in a hurry. I, I don't know what's happening, but Every day on Briargate Parkway, every red light has found me at every moment of every day. And so I continue to say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this to you. But the next day, I've taken it all back, right? And I have to, there's, we just, we're in a hurry. We, we are impatient by nature. God's not in a hurry. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he's never late either even when we think he might be, or we wonder if he's forgotten about us. And so we see four things in this little interchange that that are important for us and for our hearts this morning. We see that God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. God heard their groaning. God hears us. His people were crying out to him. They were, (laughs) have you ever just cried out to God? Think about a time when you've cried out to him. You're at your end. There's nothing else you can do. You have no ability to change your circumstances. You have no power to stop evil men and evil intent. Maybe some of you are feeling like that right now. When you watch the news and you watch politicians and you watch authorities and you watch rioters and you watch you know, all the things happening with, with COVID and maybe you feel like I'm at my end. Are you crying out to him in the midst of this? When's the last time you really cried out to God? We're, we're Americans, right? We're self-sufficient. We're independent. We're bootstrap people. Right? We have a tough time depending on even most people I know, they have a tough time asking for help. I'll take care of it. They, they don't know how to receive, right? They've been told, figure it out. Deal with it. Do it. Hard work, working for yourself, providing for yourself and your family is a good thing. Receiving from others, being blessed by others, letting God work on your behalf is an even better thing. When's the last time you really cried out to God? In the midst of all that's happening right here, have you just sat down quietly? Have you considered the weight of your life and all that you have to do and all that you can't do? And have you really reached out to him? Have you, have you allowed your heart to kind of groan toward God in need of him? Not grumbling and complaining, that's a little bit different. right? But groaning in your, in your great need. Do you understand that you are needy, that you need him? Because when you do, God hears you. His promise is that he hears you. And he will act on your behalf. And says God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God remembered. And does this mean that God somehow forgot? He's like, I know I put this covenant somewhere. I just can't seem to find it right now, right? Oh, there it is. It's on my head. No, it's not what God's saying. He doesn't forget things. He doesn't. It's just when God remembers, it's a, it's a, expression of his faithfulness and his care for his people and that he's ready to act on their behalf. When God remembers, now he's ready to act. The time is right. 
All the things that he's been doing have come together, and he's ready to do something now. And that's a good thing. God remembers, and God has made promises to us, and he knows us, and he remembers us. And that's what the second, last two things here are that God sees us. So God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God sees them. He, saw, he sees each individual person. He sees each man and woman and child in slavery in Egypt, in great opposition, ruthlessly being ground down to the earth with oppressive work, bitter, hard labor for generations, 400 years. He sees every one of them. He sees every emotion, every need, every concern. And he sees every one of us. He's, this is the same God that we serve today. He, he doesn't change. He's never changed. It's the same God. Sometimes we separate God from Old Testament, the New Testament. His covenant changes. Obviously, through the life of his son, we are in a covenant of grace, not of the law. But it's the same God. He just dealt with all of our sin through Jesus. He sees all of us, and he, and he knows he knew. How many of us want someone just to know us? I've heard plenty of people say, I just wish someone really understood me and knew me, right? You just want that ease of conversation. You don't have to explain everything. So, so our spouses, our children, maybe some of family members, maybe really close friend, they know us the best that they can, but they still can't know us perfectly. They can't know every little detail. And we all desire to be known, to be understood. God knows Everything. He, he understands. And so that should be a comfort to us in the midst of this chaos and this uncertainty in these times when we don't know which way is up anymore. What's going to happen next? What does my future look like? We are, as God's people, as the church, we should have been kind of, we should have been prepared, if you will, <laughs> as we open God's word that persecution will come. The evil men and evil intent will still have reign and rule in this world to the degree that God allows them to. But, but in a fallen world, fallen people will do fallen things, and we will be, we will be at the mercy of them at times. It feels like that. We, we will have, there will be consequences. It will, it will impact our lives. But know that even if it impacts our lives, it's all because God is allowing it, that God has a plan for the end. He sees what's happening. He's sanctifying us. He's changing us. How often have you sat in seats like this on a Sunday morning and you came in and you said, I just really wish I could change. I just really wish I could be more like Jesus. I just keep failing and failing and I really wish I would pray more and I knew how to pray. And God will teach you to pray when you're forced to be on your knees. When you have nothing left and you have nothing left to say and you have no more work that you can do to try to save yourself, you will find words and learn how to pray. And that is the benefit, and that is the, the goodness of our Heavenly Father when it comes to suffering in this life. And so this is what God's doing behind the scenes. God's doing all these things. God hears, and God remembers, and God sees, and God knows. And now God is going to answer, because he's ready to act on behalf of his people. And his answer is coming through this man who has already failed miserably, right? By committing murder, by trying to take on the whole thing by himself. I'll save Israel, one Egyptian at a time. I'm going to take him out. It's, it's a great action movie until you get to millions of people and there's just tons of people in the sand. You're like, this is it's a little bit graphic, Moses. It's a little, you know, there's, there's nowhere for him to go. It's just, it's not working. The people don't trust him. To be God's leader, he has to be God's man and do things God's way, not his own way. And so God had to train him longer. And so he had 40 more years and And now we read in chapter 3. Let's just read verses 1 through 6. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. 
And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And so God's answer to the cry of his people Israel, crying out in their suffering, was to call a deliverer, and that was Moses. And we see in, this, in these six verses really the introduction of God to Moses. We know that, God, that Moses probably knew of God. He, he, he's heard of God. He knew that he was a Hebrew. He knew about salvation. He, he probably heard enough, but we see this as a very personal introduction, God's handshake, if you will. And it's, it's a powerful one at that, right? If you've ever shaken someone's hand and you kind of you miss and you time it wrong and it's just weird and there's floppiness going on, that's not what this is. This is, this is a serious like elbow up, digging in, and this person means business. You know who they are. They, they're, they're someone important. God is, is introducing himself and he's not mincing words. He's showing Moses quickly that he is holy, that he is different. That he's the God of his fathers and the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But he meets him in a very special way here. So there's, there's four things that we see in these six verses as, as way of introduction um, for God and for Moses. The first is that God was leading Moses to himself. And we'll see there's leading, appearing, speaking, and then warning and protecting. But the first is leading. So just as Moses was now leading the flock and leading sheep all around Midian, while he was doing that and faithfully discharging his duties to his father-in-law, to his family, we see that God was leading Moses to himself. And isn't that the way that, that it should work, right? That we're being faithful in little things. We see these in the parables of good stewardship that Jesus talks about in Luke and, and other places, that if you're faithful in little things, God will give you more. And so we, we see in the text here, now Moses was keeping the flock. He wasn't ignoring the flock, he wasn't just kicking the flock and getting, he was keeping them. He was protecting them. And after 40 years, you think that would be kind of boring for a man who thought he was going to be the savior of everyone. But he was being faithful to his father-in-law. He was providing for his family. He was being a faithful man. And we see his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. We'll see Jethro come up more and more in the in, in subsequent chapters and part of the story. But, but he, he was a good man. And earlier we see that his name was Ruel, and then it's changed. And it's not, it wasn't uncommon in that time for people to have more than one name. But the name Jethro actually means his excellence. So after 40 years, it's probable that he had gained in his stature as well as his age. And so perhaps his name changed or he had another name added. So there's no contradiction there. It's the same man. And he's still the priest of Midian. But Moses was being faithful. He was going about the mundane. He was doing the, the daily task of, of moving these, these smelly, stubborn, stupid animals, if you will, right? That's what they are. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. That's why they need a shepherd. They need someone to help them. No, let's go over here. No, let's stay away from that. Here, let, here's food. Eat this, right? That's how, that's how much direction they needed. And so he's shepherding. And there's no fanfare. There's no thank yous. There's no appreciation. There's no... You know, Shepherd Appreciation Day and the sheep are providing some gift cards to Great Wolf Lodge or someplace. There's nothing happening here. It's the same old thing. It's dust and heat and sheep and, and, and more of the same. And movement and watering and relying on the Lord, protecting the sheep, relying on the Lord for water, for food, for himself as well, for the family. And all the wonder, did you, do you ever consider those 40 years? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a sentence, it's a verse for us. But do you consider what he's going through? We, we did this when we walked through the life of Joseph, how quickly we just go over two more years in prison. As if, okay, can you imagine that? Can you imagine every night when he's laying his head on some rock or whatever it is, some lazy sheep, he just puts his head on, on, on and he's trying to fall asleep and he continues to see the faces of all those suffering brothers and sisters that are still in Egypt. All those little kids, all those that he belonged to. And he wonders, maybe, did I do the wrong? I have regret. Is God ever going to use me again? How are they going to go? Maybe he's praying to the Lord. Maybe he's crying out as well. Please save them. Thinking that his time has passed and his role is done. But he's doing the faithful thing. And this is when God speaks out to him and leads him to himself. 
And this, and, and one of the applications here is that when we are faithful in all the little things, all of us want to be, we, we want to arrive, right? We don't want to go through the journey. We, we just want to get there. But the journey is, 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 is part of this life. It's part of our walk with the Lord. It's part of how he sanctifies us and grows us. He doesn't just fast forward everything. And so when we're faithful in the little things, when we, when we choose to serve in the church in places that are, that are obstructed and, and not on the stage and the things that we think are so small and, well, this, does this really matter? And I'm not really, I don't really, if, if I'm not here, people won't miss me. And we have that attitude and that mindset. But if we're faithful in those small things, then we're moving, Right? We're leading ourselves. We're being good stewards of what God has given us. And in those moments, in those times, God recognizes that. God blesses that. And he calls you out to something greater. He'll give you more to do. And you'll have greater blessing. You'll have greater joy in your service. That's how it works. God wants faithful men and women. And so Moses is being faithful. And he's, he's leading the, the flock. And he leads them to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai. Right? He's in the northwest corner of the Arabian Desert, near the Sinai Peninsula, and he's, he could go different directions, and maybe he has already. It's been 40 years, and why not in this particular case? Why is he not going to the, to the north end of nothingness and the east side of more dust and dirt? And I don't know, but he goes, to the, well, he goes to the mountain of God. Why wouldn't you go there more than anywhere else? Right? And perhaps he's hoping for a glimpse of God. Maybe he's, he just is hoping that someone will call him off the bench. And as I, as I read this, it's just interesting to me. There's so many people when athletes retire from, from their, their teams and from their sport, they, they have to stay around it. Right? They end up becoming commentators or coaches or they come out of retirement for a failed you know, second attempt <laughs> and blow some joint and break some bones or whatever it is. But they, they want to come back. It's, it's, it's hard when you leave what you love to do and then just sit and watch someone else do it. And I, I, this is speculation, but he's, he's going to the mountain of God. Perhaps he's hoping that God will meet him there again. And in this particular case, as he's being faithful, God does. And so there's a leading. God is leading him, and God leads him to himself. He doesn't meet where Moses where he's at at that moment, but he leads him to himself. And this mountain of God, we're going to come back to it in, in other, uh, other places in this series but we see God meeting in Moses in a very personal way. Actually, he's, he's dwelling there. His divine presence is, is on that mountain. And this is a mountain that Moses will make seven different ascents to as he leads people, God's people out of Egypt, as he goes up and receives the law from God. And so this mountain is also called the mountain of conversion in this particular text. It's also called the mountain of revelation for when God gives the law. So this is a special place, and God is, his presence is here. And what's interesting, and as we go through this book and this series, for those who would say that God is cold and distant and wound things up and just let things go, they don't know the scriptures. God chooses to dwell with his people. It's dangerous for us to do that, for him to do that, but he chooses to dwell with his people. Now, in past interactions with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God has, has spoken God has led and spoken, and he's even shown up in the form of angels and of human forms. But in this case, he, his, his divine presence is such that his holy ground. Moses can't even look at him. And we see that being expanded as he comes back to that mountain to worship God and get, receive the law. And then later we see the Ark of the Covenant being formed and the tabernacle where God's presence would dwell with his people. And that was, a, that was a forerunner to what? The temple that Solomon would build in Jerusalem. That, so God would dwell with his people. He wants to be with his people. And then Jesus Christ comes. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And Jesus came to earth. Emmanuel, God with us. God with his people. And Jesus ascended. And he sent his Holy Spirit to what? Indwell us. Now we are temples of, of the Holy Spirit. God indwells us. He wants to dwell with us. So individually as believers, God dwells in us. And as a church, he, he indwells his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. And he's, he's got work to do. And so it's just an amazing picture. This is the beginning of that. Of God choosing to be with us instead of just far off. Right? He's a personal God. So hopefully that is an encouragement to you this morning. 
And so he led him to the mountain, and uh, the next thing he does, he appears to him and he speaks to him. Very personal. Verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Such a personal interaction. We see in verse 2 that the angel of the Lord appeared. Uh, this can be kind of confusing sometimes because we see the angel of the Lord appearing in different, in different parts of the narrative of the Old Testament. And, and so um, one thing to look for is look at context. What, what is, is the angel of the Lord actually God himself in a theophany or a, a physical manifestation, an appearance of God in physical form? Or is it simply a messenger, an actual created angelic being that God sends to speak? So you want to use the context to determine who this angel of the Lord is. And so we know that this angel of the Lord was God himself. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame. And Moses, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called him out of the bush. So God is actually speaking to him out of the bush. God is, this is a theophany. This is God speaking as the angel of the Lord to Moses. And we see this in other instances, if you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, the story of Abraham being commanded by God to sacrifice his only son Isaac, the son of the promise, the, the son that was going to, going to cause this, this promise, this fulfillment of a great nation. God was testing Abraham and said, sacrifice your son Isaac. Chapter 22, verse 10, then Abraham reached out, of, out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But remember, he knew that God could raise him from the dead. He just knew that, this, that he had faith. This is what God was looking for. And it said, but, in verse 11, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, saying the name twice again. There's an endearment. There's a personal nature there. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So the angel is God. He said, you, you have not, as the angel speaks, you have not held your son from me. So we know this is a theophany. This is an appearance of God in angelic form. If we go over to a couple pages over to Genesis 32, We know the story of Jacob wrestling with God, right? Genesis 32, verse 24, And Jacob was left alone, and a man, a man, we don't know who this is, wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, what is it that you ask my name? Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So even Jacob recognized and understood that this was God. And not the full glory of God, this was God in a manifestation that was able to be able to dwell with man and actually wrestle with him. And I would have loved to have seen that match. That would have been pay-per-view gold, right? That would have been amazing. If you read these stories, you just wonder, what does that look like? And that's like a, a really good father wrestling with his son, knowing that he could take him out and submit him at any time, but he lets him win a little bit, right? He, he lets him have a little bit of fun, and then at the end just gives him a nice little jab just to make sure he knows I'm still dad, right? <laughs> hip socket. But this is what God does. And so anyway, that, those are just other examples. Contextually, we see in other examples, you'll see the angel of the Lord is just the messenger. So be on the lookout for that. You'll see in the life of, of Joshua and, and even when Gideon's talking to the, the angel of the Lord. And so God appears in the flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And you got to 
when, when you're doing, when you're studying the Bible, you're doing the hermeneutics, you're interpreting the scriptures, you gotta ask questions, right? Why a burning bush? What, what is that all about? What's the purpose of that? You know, if I, I was thinking, what would be a better sign that Moses would have really liked? Like a, like a big gulp machine from a 7-Eleven or something. And you're in the middle of the desert, your, your mouth's dry. That's a great sign. That's a miracle of the Lord. And all the different flavors and the, the giant gallon of what? When I, when I went hiking once and I got lost in, when I was first out here in Colorado, I was so thirsty. I was lost for the entire day, found my way back. My first stop was 7-Eleven, Big Gulp, and I just sat there and drank the whole thing and filled it back up. So that's a personal, personal experience. My wife is questioning my illustration. Rightfully so, probably. But why a burning bush? Well, Moses was familiar with, with, bushes in the desert. And perhaps there, there's been plenty of stories of, of spontaneous combustion due to the heat that was there. Maybe there was a lightning strike. Maybe the heat just caused a bush to burn. And so he, he looks out maybe from his tent or from a little covering from the day of the, the heat. And he looks over and this bush is burning. And he's seen that before, but something a little bit different. This time it's not charring and there's the crackling still there, but now the bush is not being consumed. And that's That'll get your attention, right? Especially if you are familiar with that. You're familiar with that bush. You've seen it a million times over 40 years. There's something different here. And so before God introduces himself personally and speaks to him, God introduces himself miraculously, shows that he truly is the creator God. He has control over all of creation. That he can make a bush burn but without consuming it. That will get the attention of a shepherd in the desert. And so God appeared to him personally. And Moses wanted to go see, and so God speaks to him. He says, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And I love that. We saw that with Abraham, Abraham, here I am, right? Joseph was the same type of guy. They're, they're here I am type of people. They're ready to be servants. They're ready to be used. When you're, when you're faced with the miraculous and the, the awesomeness of God, hopefully we're all going to be here I am type of people if we belong to him. He says, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off. And so God was leading. God appeared. God spoke to him personally. And God was also warning him, protecting him from his very presence, knowing that if he saw God face to face, he would die. And we'll talk more about that as we go, because God will be interacting with his people. And it's a dangerous job, because God is holy. He said, take your sandals off. This is holy ground. And this is the first time we see the word holy in the scriptures. This is holy ground. And what does it mean that God is holy? We're going to unpack this doctrine as we go. But just to give you kind of a little taste here, Riken and Hughes, their commentary, they say holiness means separation. It means to be set apart. It means to be cut. It means to be, to be removed or separate, Right? Holiness means separation. Something holy is set apart. In the case of God, holiness means that he is set apart from everything he has made. Holiness is not simply righteousness, although that's part of it, but also his otherness. It is the distinction between the creator and the creature, the infinite distance between God's deity and our humanity. We see this in Hosea 11.9. God says, I am God and not man. I'm the holy one among you. 1 Samuel 2.2, 2, he says, there is no one holy like the Lord. God is other. He is completely separate. And because of his holiness, he cannot be around sin. His holiness defines everything that he does. Another quote from R.C. Sproul says, God alone is holy in himself. The word holy is used as a synonym for his deity and calls attention to all that God is. It reminds us that his love is holy love. His justice is holy justice. His mercy is holy mercy. His knowledge is holy knowledge. And his spirit is holy spirit. God is above. He is other. And because of that separation, because he cannot be in the presence of sin, he can't even look upon sin, that has created the divide between creator and creature. Because of the fall of man, because of the sinfulness of man, we cannot be in the presence of a holy God. We just can't. But you see God making a way, making provision for that. 
throughout the Old Testament, and we'll see the, the sacrificial system, we'll see the priesthood, we'll see God making a way, ultimately pointing to the perfect sacrifice, the perfect priest, Jesus Christ, who will die for our sins. He will become the righteousness our righteousness, so that we can be in the presence of this holy God. So when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are justified before him. We can enter into his presence. We can spend eternity with him. And so God is preparing the way here. He is, he is introducing himself with this mighty handshake that he is a holy God. Take your sandals off. As a sign of respect, as a sign of reverence, fear, introducing who he is. And later we see this mountain, we see this thing filled with smoke and God is speaking out of the thunder and the mountain is shaking when God speaks and all these people are like, Moses, you can keep talking to God. We, we'll stay back here. We're fine. You're, you're a great spokesman. We have nothing else to say right now. Why? Because of the awesomeness of God. He is holy and when he comes down to the earth in this divine presence, things happen. We can't go near him. We can't even, they don't, God doesn't even want them to touch the mountain lest they die. And when Moses gets the boldness to want to see God's glory later, God says, well, I can't show you my glory. I can't, I can't look at you face to face. You're going to die. And so in his great care, in his great protection of Moses, he says, but here's what I'll do. I'll put you in this cliff, and I'll pass by you, and I'll let you know when it's, when it's time, and then I'll let you look at my back. That's going to be good enough for you, right? It's amazing. Same God that we serve today. Same God. How often have you considered the holiness of God? Because when you do, you'll consider the depths of your sin. You'll consider the necessity of a Savior. You'll consider Jesus Christ all the more, and you'll have a greater gratitude in your heart. And you'll want to worship from your heart, not just out of obligation, not because I'm in church, i got to sing another song. What's the next song? What's the next one? What's after that? There's offering. What's after that? Is there any more coffee? I don't know. Like, right? We, we're, we get in a, we get in a little hamster wheel with when it comes to church. We, we become cold and distant. And then we see God rebuking those types of churches in, in Revelation. Lost their first love. Jesus is knocking on the door. The church is in there singing about his name and he's on the outside wanting to come back in and fellowship with his people. If you want to have Jesus come back as your first love, you need to spend time with him. You need to spend time in his word. God appeared and God spoke audibly, and we see God doing that through the prophets as we move forward in the story. And in Hebrews, Hebrews 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed to the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. God has spoken to us in these days through his Son and through the word of God. So if you're not opening God's word, if you're not reading and studying and listening to God's word, how do you know what God wants you to do? Perhaps you're being faithful in your service, and if God is leading you to something greater and calling you out, you need to be ready. You need to be, have ears to hear. And if we're not in his word, we're going to have a tough time hearing that. We're going to be focused on self too much. His word is also a warning to us, just as God warned Moses I'm holy, back off, take your sandals off. This, this is who you're talking to here. I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm about to do this amazing thing. This is who I am. As we read the scriptures, he, he, he reveals himself to us in the same way. This is who I am. And this is how much I love you. I hear you. I remember you. I see you. I know you. And I'm going to answer on your behalf. I'm going to fight for you. Just as I've already sent my son, I will send him again. And until that time comes, I've sent you my Holy Spirit to sanctify you, to make you holy, because without holiness, we cannot see God. And so please be in God's word. If you want to know the, the depths of the necessity and the beauty of God's word, read Psalm 119. It's a long one. 
some repetition in there, but it, it, it's, it just draws out the, the beauty of God's word, that, that we should be delighting in it and not fearing it, not looking at it as mundane. So Moses was introduced to the Holy One of Israel, to the God who would save, and all he could do was hide his face, Right? All he could do was hide his face in fear because of God's presence and his holiness. That's a perfect place to start. That is the, that is the place to call someone out. Now Moses is ready. And next week we'll look at the, at the sending part. This is what God has for him. Just like Isaiah in the, in the presence of God. Holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. And once he understood his sin and understood the holiness of God, then he was, here am I, send me. He was ready for service. Consider that this week as you spend time with the Lord. Are you ready? Are you being led by him? Are you willing to be spoken to by the Lord through his word, through your time of prayer? Are you willing to hear the, 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 the warnings of the Lord, the care of the Lord through his word as he calls you to his service? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in heaven. Thank you that you are God Almighty, You are the Holy One of Israel. You are the Creator God. You are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. And Lord, you are full of love, of mercy, of grace, but also of justice and wrath because of the sinfulness of man. Thank you that you've made a way, that you've made a way that we could be saved from our sins, that we are forgiven in Jesus and him alone. Nothing that we can do to earn this, Father, It is simply believing on Jesus Christ who died in our place on the cross and that he rose again on the third day. He overcame death. He overcame the bondage of sin on our behalf so that we can live freely as we accept him into our life. Help us to live for you, Lord Jesus. Help us not to get too um, familiar, if you will, Father, in, in, in a way that Um, we lose our reverence and our fear of who you are. Thank you that we are called friends and we are your sons and daughters and there is a familiarity, Lord, but there's also a great reverence that comes because you are the God of the universe. Help us to spend time understanding that. Holy Spirit, speak to us about it. Help us to live in light of it, Lord. Change our hearts, transform us because of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.